Hear the word of our Lord from the epistle of St. James, the fifth chapter, beginning in the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the word of our Lord again from the first epistle of St. Peter, the third chapter, beginning in the 13th verse. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we are going to talk the problem of evil. We're going to present a brief theodicy or defense of God. If the crux theologorum, I believe that's the Latin term for it, is the question, why are some people saved but not others, the hasta atheorum, or spear of the atheists, is the problem of evil. Atheism is more or less dependent on the problem of evil. None of their arguments, as we discussed last week, are really based on reason, but, morally speaking, they have this one trick up their sleeve of why is there so much evil in the world? And it is up to the Christian to answer that. Not because we owe it to the atheists, but because we owe it to ourselves. We need the edification to understand this. We need to understand where God is when things are turds when everything is dog poop all around you, when life is terrible, what do you do? How do you see God in that moment? And first and foremost, before we get into that, we have to define what 
evil is. <laughs> because if I just say evil is evil, duh. Well, the problem is, is I fall into the trap of thinking that evil is whatever I don't like. I could say taxes are evil because the government is stealing from me, where somebody else could say that taxes are good because they pay for our roads, or they helped my sister on food stamps when she was looking for a job after getting laid off. All sorts of stuff like that, all sorts of issues can be called evil when they are not, when it's a matter of opinion, not fact. But objective evil is trickier to pin down. After all, if we believe that there is moral evil, well, what is it? What defines it? Who defines it? How is it? Thankfully for the Christian, we understand what moral evil is. It is thought, deed, or nature going against God, against his commandments, against his ethics, disloyal to him, or having bad motivations. For instance, if I steal, that is hands down an evil act, period. Or conversely, if I give something to somebody knowing full well that they are going to use it for something bad, but I, I kind of want them to do it. An example of this would be giving money to a homeless guy who is honest enough to say, I'm going to spend your money on heroin so I can die of an overdose. If I say, hmm, I'm going to give to charity and get rid of this bum at the same time, I have acted with an evil in my heart. You see, that's the issue here. I can have a sin that I commit. I can have sinful thoughts and motivations. And I can also sin by omission, not doing the good that I ought to do. What if there's a homeless guy out there that's just a guy down on his luck and I refuse to give him money because I think of this guy as a useless eater. What a bum. I'm not even going to consider helping him out because, after all, I need that money for my smokes. Something like that. There's all sorts of selfish motivations and evil things that we can do, and there are a whole lot of things that I can refuse to do out of an evil heart. There are things that also, by my nature, define me as evil. When we as human beings in our original sin find ourselves being selfish, deceitful, ugly in how we approach other people, lustful in a sinful fashion. These are things that crop up due to nature sin or original sin. So that is moral evil. We understand that. And it only exists insofar as one holds to a Christian worldview. For an atheist to condemn all the evil of human beings in the world is for that atheist to be saying either he is borrowing capital from the Christian worldview, or he's saying that he has his own moral standards and he dislikes it when people violate them. But then there's the problem of what we might call natural evil. Diseases, animals mauling people, hurricanes destroying homes, uh, lightning strikes a field in California and starts a wildfire that kills some of our loved ones. That's natural evil. Things that are unfortunate. 
terrible. Experiences nobody should have to go through. Uh, ringworm degenerating your IQ. Or worse yet, brain cancer infecting you and just taking you out completely after making it hard for you to form a single thought. We look at these things and we say, that can't be my fault. Yes, Christian theologians can say that we are right to observe God's punishment on sin in this life. Absolutely, we deserve it if there is a God. But how do you explain children born without limbs? How do you explain a heat wave or a, a cloud of locusts destroying the crops? How do you explain all these things and still claim that you believe in this good and loving God? Well, let's answer that today. When creation was first completed, that kind of thing didn't happen. Creation was perfect, but the earth is cursed as we see it today. But is this natural evil something that is because of just happenstance and circumstance? No. Actually, scripture attests that what we call natural evil is a consequence of moral evil. From Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fall in the garden, what does our Lord say to Adam? Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face." You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The earth is cursed. It is. It really is. The earth itself, everything we see, all this chaos, animals fleeing from us or victimizing us, diseases harming us, all sorts of evil things happening, happen because of our sins. At the end of the day, that is absolutely true. After all, one would think that after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, you would have this issue of just labor, just eating things by the sweat of our brow, just having to break up stony ground, just having to deal with weeds and thorns and things like that until we hopefully gracefully expire out of this mortal coil. We would think that maybe this punishment, this curse on the earth, was just that, except that we kept sinning. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we often think of it as causing a kind of spiritual death by which human beings, now imbued with the wrong kind of knowledge, find themselves uh, sinning. Well, at least having the ability to sin. But don't you think that maybe the more we sin, the more this curse is expanded? Don't you think that more sin equals more consequences? After all, the second sin after Adam and Eve's fall, and the second episode of sin is straight up murder. Cain murders Abel. And you don't think this has an effect on the world? 
that this compounds the issues and the curses put upon us to where now diseases start cropping up now the weather gets freaky all sorts of terrible things keep happening and we can't honestly say that we are not to blame it, it really is the way it is <laughs> humanity deserves absolutely everything that happens to us now god has promised to fix this he sent his son to die for us for all of the sins of the earth so that one day this moral evil that we see and the natural evil that is a consequence of it goes away that we never have to experience that again but don't think for a second that everything bad that ever happens is god's fault or oh fine human beings do bad stuff because they have a, a kind of freedom in their will according to their evil nature but oh goodness gracious i mankind did not morally cause that hurricane that took out my grandmother's house no that is our fault that is absolutely our fault creation was not like this when it was first completed it is our fault we have to recognize that now are there times when god sends a plague when he decides that there is a very specific consequence for a person or group's sins yes in the wilderness the children of israel they make a golden calf and god responds by sending them a plague when they complain over and over and over again in the book of numbers there are times when god sends fiery asps or serpents at them when he sends plagues against them when the fire of god breaks out against nadab and abihu or when the earth swallows up the sons of korah yes god in his sovereignty can decide i have a very specific punishment for this rebellion or this sin he reserves that right because he is the just judge over all humanity but for most of us while our own sins end up being their own consequences or we get caught in the crossfire of other people's sins and their moral evil it's not fair for us to blame god or for us to say hey how could a good and loving god exist that does this sort of thing it kind of assumes when we ask that sort of question it assumes that man is the measure of all things it says i have the right to judge god with my own reason with my own intellect and what i decide is moral or not those who say why would a good and loving and merciful and gracious god let all this happen or actively do it depending on how spicy you want to get a whole lot of these people are like a peasant pointing his finger at the king saying how dare you how dare you do things i don't like or how dare you permit things and people that i don't like well let's face it you and i are uneducated peasants here we don't really have a right to question the king but if i may be so bold i would say that it's not right for us to question that it is better to follow the biblical advice to say be patient as saint james says be patient as saint peter says 
God is patient. You must be patient also. Can you trust in God? That he has your best interests in mind. That he has your future in mind. That he has something good in mind for you. If you can trust in him during the painful parts of life, when those cancer tests come back positive, when your loved one leaves you, or when you find that your kids are going down the worst of the wrong paths. Heck, even if your car just happens to pop that brake cylinder and you get into a wreck and there was nobody to blame, this is a freak accident, maybe just the wrong stuff was on the freeway, and you get in that wreck and break your arm and you can't afford a new car, how are you going to do this? Can you trust that God is going to see you through it and help you? Now, there could be any number of reasons behind God permitting this to happen to you that maybe aren't related to the consequences of our sin. After all, that is a big point in the book of Job, as St. James brings up. Job didn't do anything wrong. Here is Job suffering for stuff he did not do. Okay, so there are more than just moral reasons for our suffering. Yes, there are moral reasons. God does punish us. He does give us consequences. For the non-believer, they are being punished hard for their sins in wrath, and ultimately, if they do not convert, they are punished with eternal hellfire. The believer is disciplined for his sins to make him a better believer. It is a correction. However, there are other reasons. In Job's case, God was making a point, and he rewarded Job for being steadfast in the midst of that. It can also be said that suffering is meant to perfect us, to sanctify us further. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Note here, he talks about suffering producing endurance or patience. It is spiritual bodybuilding. It is spiritual triathlon training where the more we go through, the better we are at going through stuff and that makes us better people. If you start jogging, if you start working out with kettlebells, or if you're a bodybuilder or something, working with dumbbells and barbells, you'll notice that you just feel better all the time. You feel way better as somebody who has gone through the pain of having to be sore in the morning, having sore legs, sore arms, a sore back. You know, though, that after a long while, you feel way better every day. Your energy levels are up. You don't wake up with aches and pains. You don't feel like this big baby walking around where walking up two flights of stairs just takes you out of commission. It's like that spiritually. And God, as the perfect coach, as the perfect physical trainer, he does that for us regarding our spiritual life as well. He wants to see us grow and get stronger as believers, and one of the principal ways that you do that is going through some pain. Now, nothing feels good when it hurts, 
but it does make you better at the end of the day. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, let's turn to the book of Hebrews here, he talks about this, saying that, yeah, that's kind of the point. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. God wants us to be better. He wants us to be stronger. He wants us to trust in him and keep going. But the writer of Hebrews continues here saying, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Then no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The writer here is saying, yes, God does this to make you better, but don't go running after fake cures. Don't go running after a bitter heart. Don't let yourself feel that. Don't go running after the band-aids of sexual sin or for any other number of bad things you can do in response to this. Do the work. Do the work of standing up straight, of trusting the Lord, of continuing to walk down the right path. Now this is not to say that you have to smile and be fake happy when bad stuff happens. You are permitted to be miserable when misery strikes. But during that time, we are called to endure. We are called to walk properly. Sometimes if you hurt your foot, you get nearly close to breaking your ankle, you got a bad sprain, sometimes the absolute best thing to do in healing that is to do your best to walk correctly. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get bad habits, you're going to walk with a limp, and it's going to be hard to teach yourself how to walk properly again when your foot and your ankle are healed. So we have a couple reasons. Sometimes God is absolutely correcting us. He punishes non-believers. He disciplines believers. 
Other times he is sanctifying us. He's putting us through that spiritual workout to bring us closer to him. But are there other things that he might be doing? Absolutely. God also tests us. There's correction. There is perfection. There is also inspection. He wants to see in your heart, experientially. He already knows what's in your heart, but he wants to see it in action, what is in your heart. We see that with Job. The contest between divine and infernal that happened over Job was over a test. Does Job really actually believe and have faith in God, or is he just a fair-weather fan? Is he you know, a good-weather fan of God that only likes him when times are good? Abraham went through great pain when he was told, sacrifice your son Isaac. Turns out the whole thing was a test. And does that feel fair for God to test us? It might feel a little bit like God is toying with our hearts or something like that, and we have to deal with that. Does it feel like that? Sure. Is it unfair? No. You belong to him. He has every right to make sure that he has the real deal, and he's promised us eternal life. The most we can do is show that we truly do believe in him. Now, it does feel unfair when we look at these things. So God correcting me? I thought I had freedom to make my own decisions here. Why am I being punished for being a free agent? Oh, God inspecting me? Who do you think you are? God? Why can't you just let me be here? Why can't you just make life easy for me? Perfection. Perfection. Couldn't you have given me an easier way to become a better person? And besides, shouldn't I be able to do self-improvement on my own time and in my own way, God? Or for those people who are merely caught in the crossfire of natural evil, again, a consequence of moral evil, a lot of times it's like, listen, this shouldn't happen to me. I'm a good person. This isn't fair. We all have that feeling of saying this isn't fair. This isn't what I want. From our perspective, it's not fair. From God's perspective, it is. He can do whatever he pleases. But we have this idea of why wasn't I asked before I was born into this world? I never gave my consent to live in this world or to be under this dynamic of your God, pastor. This doesn't feel right to me because I should be the master of my own fate. I should get to call the shots. Well, first off, it's not fair. You're right. This is the omnipotent God. He's God. You're not. He's big. You're small. He's smart. You're dumb. He's strong. You're weak. And you don't get to be God. But at the end of the day, he does love you. He has your best interests in mind. When you look at the problem of evil, what are your alternatives? I mean, atheism is a non-starter. It just says, yes, there's all this evil in the world. And you rejected God, the one who defines good and evil, because of all of this evil in the world, to adhere to a worldview that can't really say that anything is evil. Good and evil become a matter of your preference, and nobody is going to share all the same preferences. 
So suddenly now, you're going to see a whole lot more evil in the world because you are your own god, you're the master of your fate supposedly, and nobody in the world is just going to go 100% willy-nilly along with your program and your morals. You are going to be shackled to frustration with an indifferent universe that doesn't care how much evil you perceive in it. You think that's better than a god that loves you and has promised to eliminate evil that we caused? Do you honestly think that's better to say, oh, I can't believe in a good god who would permit all of this evil. I'm going to say we're shackled to evil and death forever. Or maybe one day we'll have enough nanomachines to invent heaven for ourselves. But I sure hope we don't screw that up like humanity has screwed up literally everything else. <laughs> no, atheism has its own problem of evil. Because humans are still doing evil stuff and none of them can agree on their own moralities whenever they try to make it up. So we get more evil as a result. Or if you look at other systems like Buddhism, Buddhism's problem of evil. You're bad because you want stuff, that's why you're suffering. If you just didn't want anything, then you'd be fine. You would just be indifferent to pain and displeasure and disappointment. That's it. Just stop caring, bro. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, that's silly. You're at root here for thinking that it's evil, dummy. That's Buddhism. Hinduism. Uh, yeah, like, so you're suffering because back when you were not you, you were somebody else, you did negative stuff. And you have this tank full of bad energy juju that you gotta pay off and work off. But... Good luck knowing how much you got to work off or pay off because you don't remember anything about those past lives. And you're probably going to add some bad juju to it. You know, some negative karma to everything. Um, good luck being shackled to samsara. That you look at these things and you see eventually that every single religion and every single worldview out there outside of Christianity doesn't have a satisfactory answer to the problem of evil. Maybe Islam makes the same kind of promise. You know, my God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit promises that one day Christ will return and eliminate evil forever. And I have no problem with that. That sounds like something to hold on to. That's some good hope. And I'm sure Islam says something similar, except that Islam posits that you can never be guaranteed to experience evil being gone or punished eternally. Because to do so, to have some sort of surefire way to salvation is to take away freedom from Allah. So you, you're never really guaranteed and really promised hey, stick with me, you'll be all right. One day there will be an actual evil-free universe. Now, I'm sure some Islamic theologians would say, well, yeah, but there are these couple ways. I've heard some branches of Islam claim that, well, no, through jihad, you do have a guaranteed way to paradise, but that's not really universally held as far as I understand it. 
So you don't really have certainty with Islam. And, and Judaism is its own weird bag of worms there regarding what they think about salvation or whether salvation is even a thing. I, I don't think they agree on it at all. So Christianity ultimately is the only worldview and religion that posits a real solution to the problem of evil. We screwed it up. God fixes it. That's it. Trust in him. And as hard as life can be, stick with him. Be patient as he is patient. Trust in him and remember all the good that he has done for you. Because for all of us here living in the year of our Lord 2022, Jesus Christ suffered for us beyond what any of us can comprehend 2,000 years ago. God suffered before you did. God went through all of this, being nailed to the cross, being slandered, carrying our pain, carrying our sin, suffering the Father's wrath upon his bloodied, beaten body. He was flayed, by the way. What the cat of nine tails does, you might call it flogging, but with the cat of nine tails, it's basically flaying too because there's broken glass in that whip and it rips your skin off. He was a bloody mess on that cross for you. And he rose from the dead for you, for eternal life. Christianity is the only, only, only religion that says 100% guarantee one day the problem of evil will be no more. Islam, very distant second. Evil will be no more, but there is no guarantee that you will get to experience that whole problem of evil being absent in the universe. And maybe there are other minor religions that try to address it, but honestly just don't. It's just evil is a fact of life. But what kind of hope does that give you? What kind of answer is that? The animists and the shamans and a lot of the uh, enlightened new agers are like, yes, this is just a thing. We just deal with it and we try to reach enlightenment to escape the problem of evil eventually. Oh, we're going to give you a way out. But then um, if you're one of these ascended masters, you're probably going to have to come back to the earth in some sort of incarnation and go through suffering again in order to lead other people out of it. So really you just get a break from suffering and evil. And that's to say nothing of how most of these Eastern inspired religions like Buddhism claim that reality is an illusion. Hinduism claims the same thing. So your suffering isn't real, but it's also your fault because you want stuff. So you want stuff. So this fake, totally not happening suffering, which you have to escape for some reason is all your fault and you have to either pay off karma or stop wanting things and become um, some sort of floater monk in order to not experience what isn't actually happening. And if you do, if you reach nirvana, you reach enlightenment or whatever, you unite to Brahman more than you already were, you're probably going to have to come back anyway. Because after all, in Hinduism, the universe resets after how many X number of billions of years. So, um, well, have fun repeating history and going right back to that problem of evil. And in Buddhism, if you're one of these enlightened masters, you're going to have to come back to it. 
that doesn't solve the problem of evil. That just gives me a really weird contradictory answer to it. It doesn't promise anything to me. Jesus, however, says, I have felt your pain times 10, times 100,000. I have gone through it worse than you did. And I am here for you. I know what you are going through. And is it fair that you have to go through it? No. But was it fair for Jesus to have to suffer for my sins? No. None of it's fair. But it's also unfair in your favor. Because you are going to be saved, O oh believer. You are going to have eternal life where there will not be this fear and pain and suffering and conflict. There will be a day when it is solved. And I will take that answer to the problem of evil, that one day God will fix it. I will take that hands down over any other alternative because it's the only one that actually promises something to me. As hard as my past few years have been, my goodness have I been going through it. If any of y'all are crunching up and running hard into the problem of evil because you're going through a hard time in life, I guarantee you right now, I promise on my heart, cross my heart and hope to die, that yes, I'm going through it too. It's been hard. It's been rough. It's been rough on everybody lately. But I will hold to the promises of Christ and patiently endure this by his grace and Lord strengthen me to go through it in order to lay hold on the grace that God has given us. Amen and amen.